Hi, Jim. This is Chad. Can you hear me? Hello. Hey, Jim. Hello, Jim. Uh, can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you. Can you hear us okay? Um, can you uh, turn your video on just for a sec, just to test? All right, thanks. Hello, can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you, Jim. Can you hear us? Okay, signing off. Thanks, Jacqueline.
Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the June Transportation and Land Use Committee meeting falling on the summer solstice, the longest evening of the year, longest, greatest amount of daylight of the year, but we will not reflect that in the length of this TLUC meeting tonight, so we hope to get out of here in a fairly reasonable time. Um, as always, I like to start off with a completely useless piece of information, so I actually have two tonight. And since I didn't do my homework before the meeting, I'll fall back on a flying story or two, which is always nice. So I skydived in my senior year at the Air Force Academy. Did you know that the human body, when it jumps out of an airplane, takes 10 seconds to fall 1,000 feet and five seconds to fall every 1,000 feet after that? That's how you time when to open your parachute. And uh, the second piece of useless information is that the F-16, I believe, was the first airplane in history to be able to pull nine Gs. That's nine times your body weight. So if you're pulling nine Gs in the F-16, you cannot move anything. You cannot lift your arm. You can't move your head. You can't move anything. So you need to set the way you are before you pull your nine Gs and then pull nine Gs. And when they first designed the airplane, guys kept coming back. Actually, it was guys. It, now it's men and women come back from a 9G mission, and there would be red spots all over the lower part of their forearm. And they couldn't figure out what was going on, and they finally figured out that under 9Gs, all the blood pools down into your extremities, and it pools so hard that it bursts the ends of the capillaries in your veins, and they come up as red spots all over your skin, and they're called G measles. And that is a pretty common thing now for airplanes that can pull 9Gs. So with that, I will lead you all in the Pledge of Allegiance. Thank you. <laughs> Pledge of Allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you all for being here tonight. We have a full agenda, but it's pretty interesting, and I don't think it's going to take an excessive amount of time. We will start off, uh, I'd like to call to order the June 21st, 2023 Transportation and Land Use Committee meeting. This room has a hearing loop. If you need hearing assistance, switch your hearing aids to telecoil mode. If you need a headset, we have those available, as, as well as please see the clerk to request one. Uh, we will start off, we'll run the agenda in order tonight, so let's start off with the Planning Commission 2022 Annual Report. Good evening, Mr. Glindo, Ms. Marsh, Ms. Marsh, Mr. Glindo, in that order. Good um, evening, T-Luck. You, you have the floor. I'm Jackie Marsh with the Department of Planning and Zoning. I'm pleased to present the Planning Commission's 2022 annual report. Uh, we are bringing this to TLUC in accordance with the board's rules of procedure, and I don't have any updates to the item. Happy to answer any questions. Very good. Do we have any questions at all on the Planning Commission report? Chair Randall, you're new here. Do you have any questions? I don't have any questions except to, I have a comment. The Planning Commission has been working really very hard for a very long time on the zone, well, on everything, but on the zoning ordinance uh, rewrite and on Bravano, those two, those two things specifically. And I know that it was a lot of meetings on both of those, a lot of work sessions. They made our job on Bravana so e much easier because they did so much work. And so my only comment is to say thank you to them. Um, they don't get a lot of shine. <laughs> um, and they work really hard. So to say thank you to them and thank you for, to staff. Thanks. Uh, Mr. Kirshner. Thank you. I didn't have any questions. I read the whole item 
for the most part. I think I read probably about 20 pages. I might have skipped the last one. But uh, I was a little, I was amazed at how many applications had come through. And I kind of want to echo what Chair Randall saying and, and just compliment this Planning Commission for all the work that they've done. And uh, I know we're going to have to tackle what they sent to us in our next item we're going to talk about here. So I'm not, I'm not really looking forward to that, but I am looking forward to it at the same time. But um, um, the one thing I did want to mention is I do think that uh, when the next board is seated that we should probably consider giving them a little bit of a pay raise since uh, given I've seen how much the amount of work that they do. So it might be worthwhile looking at that. Thanks. Thank you. Mr. Vice Chair. Only question is, how is my planning uh, commissioner behaving? Is he treating you all well? He's one of the best behaved commissioners. Okay. That's what I was anticipating and expecting. So I really want to thank him, though, on a serious note, for his service, uh, for being my planning commissioner. He's also the mayor of Hillsborough, and he, even though that's a very small town, he uh, does a lot of heavy lifting, not only for Hillsborough, for, but for other parts of the county and the county as a whole. And I want to thank the, all of the planning commissioners for all of the work that they've done and all of the extra work that they've done this throughout this whole uh, term for them. I know it's been a lot of extra meetings for uh, the ZOR process. And I really want to thank staff. You guys have done a tremendous, uh, tremendous work working with the planning commission and with the public. So thank you all. And that's it. Thank you, Mr. Vice Chair, and I'll, I'll pile on in a good way uh, with all of this kudos here. Um, the, uh, this is our gargantuan task, as we will see here in about a minute and a half when we go into the zoning ordinance rewrite. Um, but over the course of the last four years, staff and the planning commissioners have just done a superlative job. It's a really, really difficult, difficult job. It's a thousand-page document that hasn't been looked at in 20 years. And um, if ever there was a testament why we need to update these documents more frequently, this is the amount of work that the staff and the Planning Commission have had to do is a, is a testament to just how much uh, work that, that entailed. So thank you all very much. You've done fantastic. And we will move on to the next item. Thank you. Good evening, all. The floor is yours. Good evening, Chair Turner and members of TLUC. My name is Brian Wegener, and I'm with the Department of Planning and Zoning. We do have a PowerPoint presentation that we'd like to give. Great. Um, I think I need help with that. The purpose of this item is to update TLUC on the work of the Planning Commission and their progress on the zoning ordinance rewrite, and also to discuss a potential path forward for board review, revision, and adoption of the new draft zoning ordinance. The commission um, 
they had two, two hearings on the new ordinance. Um, the first was August of 2022. The second was January of 2023. They also had 25 work sessions. Um, that includes two parking subcommittee meetings and six uses subcommittee meetings. The commission forwarded the zoning ordinance rewrite to the board with a recommendation of approval. Um, they also recommended running additional scenarios that would help us understand the, the impacts of the new regulations and how they would impact um, development in the county. I don't know what that means. Can, can you explain the second bullet? I think I know, because I think I remember talking to, to uh, Charles, I think it was you, yeah. and we talked about this, but can you explain that second I can't, bullet? yep. So the commission had us um, work with a consultant to impose the draft open space regulations on, on um, existing approved development in the county, just to ensure that our existing developments would be able to meet those open space standards and what the impacts those new standards would have on development. And I can't remember how many scenarios there were, but maybe there were four or five. And um, initially the conclusion was that some of the regulations may be too stringent or confusing. And um, having those scenarios helped us refine the language and um, clarify the regulations and I think we also um, changed some of the standards as well uh, so so going through that exercise again and looking at some of the other sections would would probably be helpful thank you uh, mr. Turner could I jump in and, sure. and Brian I'm sorry to interrupt your presentation but um, the point is um, pretty impactful for moving forward through the board process. So we learned during the review by the Planning Commission that um, as an example, in the case of open space regulations, that it was very helpful to show a scenario or a picture of what the regulations would look like on a particular piece of property. So we did about four or five of those in front of the commission and they were able to ask questions and see a picture. Um, if in the absence of that, they'd have to be relying on the text or the percentages required for open space. So visually seeing that, that led to the end recommendation when the commission um, made their recommendation of approval to the board on the 8th, which was um, test driving the ordinance in terms of the usability with some scenarios, with testing one section of regulations along with other sections, that test driving will ensure the usability, the, ab the ability to administer and enforce the ordinance. And so that was a key recommendation that was coming forward from them. And so at this point in time, we are, we'll probably get to it a little bit later in the discussion, we are working with our consultants to do that very thing so that will be available for the board review to um, take a look at. Thank you. 
The commission also recommended that the board consider eight additional um, potential CPAMs and or ZOAMs that are listed here on the screen following adoption of the new zoning ordinance. There wasn't adequate policy guidance to um, incorporate these into the, the ZOR or the topic required a more concentrated effort that exceeded the scope of the ZOR. So um, the commission recommends that these be addressed in the future. The one that I'll highlight for you now, just so it's clear, um, where it says Western Loudoun, the commission talked about a whole range of topics from limited breweries, limited distilleries, Virginia farm wineries, um, livery stables, equine event facilities, indoor recreation, and hours of operation for outdoor lighting and music. Staff wants to highlight the top 10 major issues. Um, these are topics that received public comment and generated discussion at the commission. The first is attainable housing. S stakeholders have expressed concerns that the attainable housing regulations need more flexibility. Um, concerns focused on the requirements for attainable housing units, that they be compatible with market rate units, interspersed with market rate units, and um, linking the delivery of attainable units to market rate units. Staff and the commission have worked with stakeholders to add more flexibility and opportunities for modifications to the, the regulations. The next topic is community scale solar facilities. The commission discussed the possibility of allowing solar facilities more broadly in the county. Um, the ZOR defines what we call site specific or accessory solar facilities, which is basically like solar panels that serve your use, as well as um, utility scale solar facilities, which are the, the large um, establishments. Um, and we added um, standards for both of those types. The commission wanted the board to consider um, a future effort to, to identify policies and regulations to guide a middle tier scale, which we called community scale. The next topic is data center use specific standards. As part of the ZOR, staff engaged with the data center coalition during the development of strengthened regulations for data centers. The commission further strengthened the standards to mitigate impacts on residential uses that are adjacent to data centers. For example, the commission increased the building setback adjacent to residential uses from 100 feet to 200 feet, hmm. increased the triggering distance for requiring a 15-foot building step back from within 200 feet to within 400 feet of the adjacent residential property line, required an enhanced buffer with a berm, limited generator testing to weekdays between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m., 
limited the use of generators to backup emergency use only and required noise modeling and lighting plans. The next topic is farm definition and rural economy uses. Throughout the ZOR project, there has been public input and commission discussion on a variety of rural economy uses. Topics included adding a definition of farm, mitigating impacts associated with limited breweries, limited distilleries, and Virginia farm wineries, livery stables and equine event facilities, indoor recreation, and outdoor lighting and music hours. Staff recommends additional policy guidance and public engagement on these topics following adoption of the zoning ordinance. Energy storage facilities are currently allowed by special exception in industrial zoning districts. Staff recommends these facilities continue to be allowed by special exception in industrial districts only. The commission recommends allowing the use by right in industrial districts, adding the use as a minor special exception in the office park district, adding the use as a special exception in TR10, JLMA1, JLMA2, and JLMA3, and reducing setbacks from 100 feet to 50 feet from all non-residential lot lines. Staff continue to recommend that before expanding the use permissions for energy storage facilities, that the county work with a consultant to assist the fire marshal and building official with developing stringent fire and life safety standards. If I could interrupt there, Mr. Wager, for just mm -hmm. a second. I want to clarify that for the members of the TLA committee. Um, so staff's recommendation was to leave energy storage in the industrial, the three industrial classified parcels as specs, and the board voted, and I want to say it was 5-4, to allow those three categories to be by right energy storage. Do I have that correct? The commission made that vote, yes. Okay. I don't have the vote in front of me, but okay. that sounds right. Thank you. Okay, the next use is flex building. The county has worked closely with multiple stakeholders on this topic. Um, the ZOR updates the term flex industrial to flex building to reflect the changing nature of the uses that occupy these buildings. Fewer industrial uses and more uses um, such as recreation establishments, daycare centers, and um, religious assembly uses are occupying these buildings. Any use allowed in the underlying zoning district is allowed within a flex building. Up to 10% of the lot may be used for outdoor storage, subject to screening requirements. Flex buildings without outdoor storage are now also allowed in urban and suburban zoning districts, which is expanded from the, the current permission in just the industrial and office districts. And the minimum amount of required parking has been reduced. Flexibility in the zoning ordinance. The public has expressed concern that the, the ZOR is less flexible 
than the existing zoning ordinance. The ZOR takes a different approach to flexibility that is more consistent with the Code of Virginia. It is flexible and it has more opportunities for administrative review. The ZOR also includes a new PUD zoning district. An applicant can request a rezoning to the totally customizable PUD district that is consistent with the 2019 general plan without the need to request modifications to a base zoning district. The commission recommended that the 20 acre minimum district size for PUD districts be modifiable, which would allow for a more um, creative and customizable um, infill projects on property smaller than 20 acres. Mountainside Overlay District, to address public comments and to implement the general plan, the rewrite strengthens MOD protections. For example, it increases the setback for springs from 100 feet to 300 feet. And there are new standards for non-residential development to mitigate environmental and safety impacts associated with tree cover clearing and land disturbing activity in the MOD. Open space. To implement the general plan open space policies, a new approach in the draft ordinance prioritizes quality open space with three tiers. An applicant can provide less open space if that open space is higher quality, such as tree conservation areas, wildlife habitat, and archaeological and historic resources. And lastly, sign development plans and digital plans. The draft ordinance moves the review of standalone SIDP applications to the BZA to reduce the review time for applicants to one meeting. SIDP applications that co-process with other legislative cases will continue to be reviewed by the commission and board. The ZOR adds regulations for digital signs, whereas today they are only allowed by approval of a SIDP. The commission discussed digital signs during multiple work sessions. The primary concern was ensuring that the, the size of digital signs in suburban areas did not detract from the suburban character. So in terms of next steps, staff is actively compiling the commission's draft ordinance, incorporating motions from the June 5th and June 8th commission work sessions. We plan to publish the commission's draft ordinance on July 6th to coincide with the legal notice for the board public hearing. The latest version of the draft ordinance that is publicly available is the draft dated June 2nd, 2023 which the board can find attached to the June 5th, 2023 commission work session item. The board public hearing dedicated to the ZOR is tentatively scheduled for July 26th. Throughout July, staff plans to brief each board member on the commission's draft ordinance and the district commissioner will be invited to attend those meetings. Um, the commission chair and vice chair have been invited to provide a brief presentation to the board at the board public hearing. Staff is 
also continuing to engage with stakeholders and answer their questions. Staff is actively working with a consultant to develop two resources to assist the board's review of the ZOR. The first is a crosswalk between the draft ordinance and the current ordinance to help you find um, information because the, the new ordinance is completely restructured, so some of the sections have been moved around. And the second is an analysis of the public comments received to date. On this slide and the next slide, staff offers one potential path forward for the board's consideration. Um, this tentative schedule shows committee of the whole work sessions on Mondays in September, October, and November. A couple of Thursdays are included due to some county holidays. Staff suggests grouping certain chapters together because they go hand in hand. And that concludes the presentation. We are happy to answer your questions. Thank you very much. I was really impressed with the way you laid out this, uh, laid out this item. And um, I think this is a really nice starting outline for us to move forward. It really gives us some good, uh, good direction. Uh, questions? Committee members? Thank you, Chair, and thank you guys for, and gals for coming forward and uh, presenting this. I have lots and lots of questions. I probably won't get to them all, but I'm sure I'll have them answered as we go throughout this process. I just want to kind of go back to <clears throat> the Planning Commission's recommendations. There's a couple of quick questions there. These are uh, th these recommendations actually are for future, correct? These have not necessarily been addressed in the in the zoning ordinance that will be coming to us. Is that correct? Just wanted to make sure I understood that. You're asking about the list of eight that we highlighted? Yeah, it's slide. like the floodplain overlay district, use restriction mountainside overlay, Evergreens Mills, land in lieu of affordable dwelling. Yes, those would all be future projects. Okay, fair enough. So moving to the next slide, and these are some questions when I went through the presentation previously earlier today. Um, I, I kind of envision potentially, and, and I'm sure that the board will make some of these decisions. But for example, I look at the energy storage facility. To me, this is maybe one of the, the and we're always talking about diversifying our economy and our, our land use possibilities. This to me is, is it could be the next data center wave of the future, quite frankly, be, simply because um, it's it's very inexpensive in terms or in terms of the, the, the burden on the county. There There are potentially a lot of various areas that we could put these energy storage facility and I, I foresee that maybe we may at some point want to take some time and work on this and this give this to the Planning Commission to flesh out significantly it, we do address this in the current zoning ordinance to some degree but and I think you said that we talked about doing a special exception but it was voted 5-4 I think the chair mentioned that can you address that I can do it so the approved motion was to allow these by right, and this is the recommendation okay. of the Planning Commission okay, good. in IPGI and MRHI. Okay. And so our position, staff's position, was one of um, just practicality in terms of a process. Mm -hmm. We recognize um, very clearly that the use should be included in the ordinance. There should be a definition of it in the ordinance. Uh, and, and there is. There is a draft definition for your okay. review. 
And the concern that we had was that um, there were some observations from uh, fire and rescue and, and fire marshal's office that um, safety standards need to be met. And right now, what better way in terms of review than to require a special exception and a referral process to allow comments to be generated? The commission uh, felt that time was of the essence to recognize, I think, the point that you're making, that this is an emerging use, there is a lot of interest in it, and we should figure out how to accommodate it. Their interest in recommending that these uses be allowed by right was, was subject to a caveat that, that we were going to provide to Mr. Turner's original question, which is that st standards need to be in place. Um, uh, Commissioner Combs cited a number of life safety code references that um, have applicability. Our concern, again, was practical, that if you had somebody submit a site plan, which for use that's allowed by right, the ability for us to review and approve a site plan and ultimately issue a permit um, in the absence of those standards would put a huge um, question mark on the process. And so we were um, in a very collegial mode with the commission on the, on the last evening when they made that recommendation that we would continue to look into how those standards could be codified, otherwise relied upon for the process, and we'd be telling you as it got to the board where we were with that. So um, wasn't like dig a, make a line in the sand that it's gotta be permitted by special exception or it's gotta be permitted by right. Their recommendation is to make it permitted by right. Our obligation is to confirm those standards, how they could be applied, and, uh, and um, explain that to you as we move forward. What chapter? I'm, I'm out of time, but what chapter would that fall under, or would it fall under? So seven? three and four, three because and four. it would be a use permission in three and a use specific standard in four. And I'm sorry, that needed a little bit more explanation, and I hate to run out your time. That's all right. You have till nine eleven. It's all good. Thank Ms. you, Chair Turner. Uh, I, I don't have any questions right now. I just wanted to thank staff and the Planning Commission for all the work that uh, you've done um, uh, with, um, oh gosh, with this, the chapters. Um, I look forward to um, looking into this and, and um, uh, because I know this is extremely important for us to update our zoning ordinance. And thank you again. Chair Randall. Thank you, Ms. Sherman. I think I might need more than one round of questioning. Um, my first discussion was um, about the uh, um, attainable housing. When you said that there were, you know, the concerns that were listed by the stakeholders groups, were there any concerns, because you, you listed a lot of the things, that people didn't want more attainable homes? Was that ever a concern that came up? And then the second part of that is, you said that they people wanted them to be dispersed through the community, as do I very much. I've said that many times. However, if the attainable home is built with LIHTC funding by Virginia Code, it, they have to all go in one building, which I sorely disagree with, but that's just how that goes. And I, 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 I always want to level set the community when the, we start these things because they, they give suggestions that are reasonable and right, but sometimes we can't, we can do nothing with it because we're just not allowed. And so uh, I guess what I'm saying is when those suggestions come up that we cannot impact, I would prefer they, people get told that at, at that time. 
Um, I, I, I think that the specific use standards recommended for the data centers are not really reasonable. I wish I could say I thought they would, but generators from eight to five and things like that, I don't think that's reasonable. I don't think those are reasonable standards. Um, I think the, the, the use standards have been put forward to literally to sell and, and to say that you you know the the part about not having a, a other energy if the data center goes down. Those those are not reasonable standards. If we're going to have a data center market, which there's, you know, you know, we ha we have a bit of a love-hate relationship with the data center community, and I understand their concerns, but we don't need to have one if we're going to sabotage it with use standards. And so I have to kind of push back on um, on that some. Um, I do want to remind everybody that although a public hearing will be on July 26, there will be many opportunities for people to address the the board and the staff on these on these items. They can always email us, and they come to any BOS meeting doing public comments and talk to us. They can call us. I don't want people to think it's just one time they can do that. Um, I'm a little confused by the reduction setbacks of the energy storage facility when everything else was just the opposite. The setbacks were just the opposite. On the zoning ordinance um, 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 schedule, uh, 1016, a whole meeting just for signs. I don't know that we're going to need a whole meeting just for signs. I hope we don't need a whole meeting just for signs, especially when some of the other days like 1030 is really, really full. But we have one meeting just for signs. And so we may, I may want, I may play with those dates, so not, not so much the dates, but what we discussed on the, on the dates, I may play with those a little bit. I think that it's a very good schedule, but I don't know that this, that, that what we're discussing each day is, so I may, we may play with what we're discussing, but I do like the schedule. And I, and I very much like that as it is right now, we will get this thing out before, um, the end of the term. My last question is, what we voted for last night on the data center, um, what, what, what do you call it, what would we call it? Um, Conference of Plan Amendment. Yeah, will the, how will that, and do you think that will impact the schedule? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. So I, I do not think that the motion last night will um, automatically affect the schedule. We have not discussed or made any changes to the schedule here. My, my concern that I raised last night was that um, as questions have come up and as issues have, have arisen, part of our way to address that while keeping things moving forward on task was to pull in help from other divisions throughout the department. Um, so if we run into to too many of those at the board, it could take away some of the capacity we had to address those. But as it stands right now, we're hopeful that we've worked through a lot of that already. So there's no, I, I, do not, I do not think there's an automatic um, effect on the schedule at this point. It was more a, a note of caution last night. The, uh, the, the, the meeting about signs, um, we would love to have only one. <laughs> Part of the reason that we left that as, as a meeting devoted to it is that the commission talked about signs uh, no less than four times. Really? Um, partly because we would, they would talk about it, we would revise things, we'd bring it back a month later, and they would have forgotten some of the conversation and the numbers that they were <laughs> talking about. So uh, we would be happy to have as, as little conversation about signs as possible. <laughs> the, the other uh, thing, that the question at the beginning of your comments about attainable housing, we've received thousands of comments over the course of this, so I, I don't want to say that there's never been comments that have come in that were 
negative to attainable housing as a concept, but what we were highlighting were primarily concerns that we heard from the industry about uh, flexibility that they wanted okay. to see or, or different triggers that they thought may or may not work or there was a better trigger out there. So okay. we've, we have worked through a lot of those. Um, we are aware that there, there probably are still a few members of the industry that would prefer to be able to modify even more, okay. but we think we are at a, a fairly reasonable place right now that it's an improvement over what we have currently. Okay, I, I will have. I would like another round, Mr. Mr. Chairman. Mr. Royce, Chair. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you to staff. I know it's a ton of work that you all have done um, to get to this point. Uh, so thank you very much. I know there's a ton of work to be done before we get where we want to be. Um, Apparently, we don't have enough time left on this particular board to do it all, in your opinion. <clears throat> Am I right in saying that? I think that's really at the will of the board and what issues you see when you look at the draft. Hopefully, you love it and we could cut some of these meetings <laughs> off. That would be, be great for everybody. Um, am I right in saying that slide four and slide five are both lists of things that you recommend to be done in future CPAMs and ZOAMs? Four is for future projects. Um, five, a couple of those are, but we have addressed a lot of five in the draft that you will be reviewing. Okay, energy storage facilities, are, is that something that you have addressed or that you think needs to be addressed in the future? Both, we have addressed it okay. somewhat, we think more work is needed. I agree with that. I think more work is needed. I also think more work is needed. I, I basically agree with what you've said more work is needed on because these are, these are, to me, hot button issues that we really need a lot more, in my opinion, focused public comment on and more focused thought on instead of trying to push some of these things through during this board's term, which is honestly going to fly by. Um, I am going to be out of country, just so everyone knows, October 12th through 25th, which uh, was planned about a year ago, so I cannot get out of that. Um, just wanted to throw that out there. I saw some of the planned meetings in this um, are during that period. Um, that crosswalk program that you talked about, that to help us find stuff in the old in the old plan and in the, in the new draft plan, is that something that you're going to be helping us with training our staff how to use that ahead of time before it's actually whenever it's ready, but before it's needed? So we're looking at a couple of different options. Um, one of them would be relatively standard paper, it might be big, but it would be simple to use. We we have discussed trying to do something that's a little bit more automated as well, and if we are, uh, if we do go that route, then we can, we'd be happy to provide some training to aides and any board members. Gotcha, and I probably will need another round also, Mr. Chairman. Okay, um, just off the top of your head, do you know if flex buildings are allowed in the suburban mixed-use place type? Yeah, you know, if you're yes, they would be. I think they are, right? Are they now, and they will be under the rewrite, or are they not now, but they will be under the rewrite? They're um, flex. The suburban mixed use is the place type from the general plan, but the zoning districts are IP and GI. Okay, so that so that, that then so flex is allowed in those zoning districts, and right now those zoning districts are allowed under a suburban mixed use place type. 
wherever the IP and GI is, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, it, right. if it is coterminous to a suburban mixed use, it is allowed. And we have no, no um, uh, plans or direction to do anything different. Okay. Um, I just want to recap really quickly on the vote last night on the, zone, on the data center map. Uh, and, and where it fits in the overall scheme of things. So last night we approved up to $90,000 for a consultant to begin the mapping process for data centers. Um, I, I was leaning e either side of the fence six or seven times last night and actually didn't make up my mind until the chair said, all those in favor. I finally made up my <laughs> mind. Um, um, because I really, really, really don't want to delay the zoning ordinance rewrite process. But I also agreed with the argument that we really do want to send a message that uncontrolled growth of data centers throughout Loudoun County is not where we want to go. So I, I, I'm, I personally, I'm just saying this personally, if the staff gets to the point where they're continually finding themselves having to say zoning ordinance rewrite or the data center map, please come back to the TLUC or the board or both and say, we're getting into a bind here. Can we look at this again? Because I, I, I really want to, I'm hoping you're right that it doesn't have that big of an impact. So the process is right now, there are some um, performance standards in the zoning ordinance rewrite for data centers. The anticipation is that there will be a separate, and now we have a separate initiative to do the data center map with consultants. And then the anticipation is that there will be a CPAM and an aligned zoning ordinance amendment regarding data center performance standards and uses, correct? Generally, yes. Okay. Um, and then I have to echo the chair's sentiment. I, will, I have a source who called me, and I won't reveal the source's name <laughs> for plausible deniability, but that source said every single discussion we had about signs turned into a downward dark spiral. <laughs> And it's, it's just a, one of those discussions where it always gets out of hand and it always takes more time than necessary. So I'm fully in accord with the chair that we really need to um, keep a tight leash on the science discussion. That's all I had. Let's do a second round. Uh, chair Randall. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Chairman. You want, you're good? Okay. Um, a couple more things. So. I'm going to respectfully disagree with my friend Tony. I'd like to get this thing out as soon as possible, and I'd like to get out in this term because right now the zone, the the the, the comp plan and the zoning ordinance are out of compliance, and I have a feeling that if we push this to another term, not knowing which of us will be on this day as in another another term, having done all this work right now, a new board that could be, you know, a difference of one person or a difference of what, seven possibly people, would have to almost start all the way over getting all the information and it would probably take them another, <laughs> at least a year, maybe more than that. And then in, in during all that time, the comp plan and the zoning ordinance are out of compliance and, and that just creates havoc. So although I hope to see my colleagues back <laughs> next year, we just, we just don't know. Um, I, I also will say that one of the biggest concerns I've heard, and one of the things that I'm also very concerned about, is that the zoning is not malleable and flexible enough. And that's tough because it's zoning, you know? So you do want your zoning to be clear and not be so, um, you know, kind of mushy so people don't understand what's going on. You don't want to have any ambiguity in your zoning. At the same time, you want it to be able to, 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 to not be, 
to, to move. I mean, zoning is law, that is true. But you want to be able to move when you have new um, ideals come up or things happen. I, I mean, I think that, you know, when, when the zoning notice was written, there really wasn't data centers. What would have happened if we would have been able to kind of do something different when data centers came online, except for having to allow them, whether we wanted to allow them or not, everywhere that we allowed them? And so I, I, I do hear that concern that, you know, and, and I will be watching for that. I will, you know, want to add flexibility where, where and when that might be. And we'll be talking to people who know better than I know when we have that discussion. Um, uh, buh, buh, buh. That might have been on. Mr. Buffington asked, asked my question about the energy, um, the, the, the energy storage facilities. Although I didn't understand why, why that was the one that they actually changed the setback to be closer, not further. The, the commission generally, the changes that they made based uh, different from staff's recommendation were more permissive. So I know, they, they but, for every, but only for the energy storage facility was more permiss permissive. For everything else, it was tighter. That's what I'm saying. I, I don't have an issue with it. I'm just wondering why, that, why the difference only for the energy storage facilities. Okay, good answer. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't know if that's, uh, they made data centers more, more stringent for sure. Um, Absolutely. It, it just depended on the use. I think of the ones we've highlighted here, that's probably the one that they, they made less stringent. Yeah, compared yeah, to yeah. and I don't were, know why. There were numerous other uses and things that we've okay. adjusted in similar manners. Do you have an opinion on, and if you don't feel comfortable, I totally get that, on the data center recommendations and if they're reasonable to, for the data centers? So we met with the data center coalition um, repeatedly for, for many months, probably years even at this point, <laughs> to try to find uh, some middle ground on, on regulations that worked for them that also were stricter and provided more certainty for the board and the public and, and mm -hmm. um, everyone involved. Mm -hmm. I think some of the changes that the commission made beyond that are probably too stringent, mm -hmm. um, especially some of the, the um, setbacks and things that were really limit either where things can be on the site or which sites could even fit them at all. Mm -hmm. I understand the point of trying to make things maybe a bit stricter closer to residential, but I'm not sure that we hit the, the mm -hmm. mark there exactly mm -hmm. yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I might have one more question about that, Mr. Justin. Mr. Turner, if, yeah. if I could respond to a couple of things outside of the board member's time, because I think it's worth it at this point. Um, with respect to the to the data center setbacks and step backs, which is the new a new um, requirement when you go vertical, bring your second story back <clears throat> if you're within 400 feet of residential. The net impact will be to reduce the ability to have data centers on smaller properties that might be adjacent to residential. And that might be the answer that you wind up with and you're comfortable with it. But sheer distance alone is not the only way to approach separation of uses. You could buffer, screen, and berm to avoid some of the negative consequences that we've seen when the two uses are too close to each other. There may be different approaches, and I think the commission was aware of that, but wound up with a 200-foot setback adjacent to residential and 400-foot applying the step back for, for, for vertical. Um, we do know that other jurisdictions are looking at the same type of thing 
and you're going to have to, you'll have to be the judge of what the happy medium is. But um, do you want to take the sites totally out of play where they otherwise might meet your place type guidance and be a permissible use in a district in an area where you want to have it? So that was just one observation we had about that. And then to the chair's point about flexibility, from the very beginning, I think the, those that have been, came to the project and picked it up, we got the message, this needs to be flexible. And I think that came from us no longer using the, the application and acronym for a ZMOD because we felt that the guidance from the state code was more appropriate to a ZMAP or special exception. So if you'll, if you'll take a moment when you get time to look at new Appendix C, which is a guide to all of the flexible regulations that are in the draft right now, there's a combination of administrative provisions where the zoning administrator could look at conditions and if the, if the language exists in order to grant a modification, Webster's term modification, that could occur. Then in combination with um, folks having the ability when they submit a legislative application to seek a Webster's term modification with their concept plan, that's capable, that's hugely capable of providing flexibility. And then for chapter four, for the use standards, if you can't meet any of those, you can apply for a special exception for relief. Very similar to Article 5 in the Revised 93, where you can seek relief from a performance standard that you can't meet via a process. And, um, and so it all, all leads to, let's say you want to rezone a piece of property into something incredibly creative that we don't even know what it looks like right now. Brian's point earlier was that planned unit um, development district, planned development, you could submit that and you show us what you want to do, but the board would be the one who has the legislative discretion to approve it. So look at Appendix C and you will see a wide variety, a wide array of modification options. If you don't feel that's flexible enough, then the board process will allow for you to adjust that. Thank you. <clears throat> Mr. Kirscher. Thank you, Chair, and um, I'm very, very happy to hear the effort that's been put into the flexibility because on my three and a half years on this board I know that flexibility is something I've been trying to I've been stressing with the staff but again I understand the difficulty of it so I really appreciate that scenario I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing practically how that works out which kind of brings me to my other point and, and question I have a couple built a couple here you talked about running these scenarios before on open space is are, are, is the concept that potential scenarios will be run on some of these other zoning aspects to give us some idea? Is it yes. something that we can request? Say, hey, can you run us a few scenarios on how this is going to work on what have worked on this project or this project, this project? Give us some idea because I think that may be asked. And I think from a practical perspective, it's easier for us to grasp and understand. Right now, we are planning to move into this round with a board review by, by giving the consultants direction to sample some scenarios for test drive. I think if we, I think we are able to leave the option open for the board to say, "Hey, could you look at this?" Um, has as a particular instance arise arises. So yes. Okay. Um, and the 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 question about the signs are are rural use signs in the sign portion, or it's going to be in the rural uses? 
in all likelihood. I was going to ask. There, there are standards for rural signs in the draft. Okay, what, but will we, so they, there are in the draft, but will that be addressed under the sign development plan portion or the sign portion, or will that be addressed in a different place? It's in when chapter we, eight. The regulations are in chapter eight. So they will the, be in chapter They're eight. in okay. there, and there's also the ability to apply for a sign development plan. That's in chapter 10. Okay. 10, which is a procedural chapter. Okay. So the regulations, if you want to go look at rural signs, then you would look in chapter eight. Okay. And then um, I had one other question. Oh, I know what it was. Um, the rural economy I issues, those are still kind of unresolved issues. Is that on the top 10? Those are issues that perhaps the Planning Commission may need for more time to look at? Or is, are we, are you saying those are top 10 issues of things that were addressed? Because my understanding was very little that was addressed. Very little addressed in the draft. But maybe um, future work. Very little addressed in the draft, so therefore there's a need for future work. Okay. Um, it's not just policy direction. It's also communication, engagement, explanation to the business community. What we found very clearly was that there are varying stages of compliance with existing regulations, and there are new regulations from the state code with regard to farm wineries and the amount of grapes that they grow. So keeping that in mind, and then also the issues that um, we have dealt with in the legislative arena over agritourism uses and agricultural structures, there will be forthcoming discussion at the General Assembly, and we need to balance all of that and communicate to our rural business owners um, existing regulations, potential for new, and then what is the board direction on, on changing those, those things, and not do it piecemeal or with very little notice, which is what the mode we were in a few months ago with the commission. Gotcha, thank you. Uh, Mr. Vunster. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Mr. Kirshner just asked a lot of my questions, and Mr. Yud, uh, the additional information you provided on data centers was helpful, very helpful, um, reduced a lot of my questions. So one question, though, on data centers, do we define the height of a story, if it's going to be one story? What's the max height of a story? That's right. So... Um, I believe this is accurate, we'll verify. The, being in the ordinance, everything is by feet. The, the issue with the story is from the general plan perspective. So we say three stories and then we define that story is generally 12 feet. And that's where a lot of the um, issues with applications coming through has been, it's been general plan, yeah. not the ordinance. The data center seems to, their story is different than our story. Correct. You know, so, but, but as long as if, if the district allows 90 feet, as long as their whatever number of stories is at 90 feet or less, they can do it. Okay, so we're doing max height is what. Correct. But then if you're talking about those those step backs, then I think the height, the max height of a story comes more into play instead of just the overall max height. Because what if the first floor is 40 feet? So the, the step back was not, um, it's, it's the horizontal distance from the furthest exterior wall to what comes back. It, it's not worried about the vertical aspect of that. So their first story, if it goes up 30 feet and then steps back, would be okay. Or if it's 20 feet and then steps back, the step back itself, just that um, that characteristic of the design is what's being regulated. Okay. I guess in that case, then I'm wondering if how stringent we need to be on the actual setting a max height for a story. 
Um, so that's discussion we could have in the future. Um, thank you for the information on flexibility. I think it's important, but we also have to find a good balance and not go too far where we just lose control because there's so much flexibility. <clears throat> you answered my sign question, the scenario question. Um, with the mountainside overlay districts, you said increasing the stream setbacks from, was it 100 feet or yards to 400 feet or yards? And I could have both of those numbers wrong, but. The setback for springs increased from 100 feet to 300 feet. 100 to 300 feet, gotcha. And that's, were you saying springs or streams? Um, I meant to say whatever you just said. Okay, Spring, <laughs> springs <laughs> is the number that You said changed. springs, right? Yes. Okay, sorry. Um, 100 to 300, got it. Not sure where I'll be on that. Um, I've heard from both sides on this. Um, I actually own a property on the mountainside. It's in Clark County, so it's different and it won't be affected by these uh, regulations. But I've heard from both sides on this. Like already, you know, there's not enough flexibility. We can't do anything with the property we own on the mountainside. And then you hear the other side, it, it went, we're losing all of our mountainside, you know, there's going to be nothing left but a dirt hill before you know it. So we do have to find the, the proper balance on that. Um, the energy storage facility, so some of the new areas you were recommending, uh, I heard JLMA or JMLA, so you're talking Western Loudoun? I don't think we said JLMA, well, okay. there was a provision for special exception for those zones. So that I was said by right, IPGI, MRHI. Okay, so the by right stuff was not Western Loudon for the energy storage facilities. Um, and then, oh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, I think in the discussions with the Data Center Coalition, I, this is a poor ten of things to come in Loudoun County, but frankly, I think it's a thing, it's, it's coming worldwide. I don't think anybody in the world anticipated the explosion of data center growth over the last 15 years worldwide. And I'm sure we are not the only community in America or worldwide that is having this discussion of how do we rationally and reasonably gain some kind of managerial control over the explosive growth of data centers. I understand the awkwardness it puts the data center community in because they've really had a blank check for growth for years now. Um, and communities are saying, we've got to manage this. We've got to channel this growth in a, in a hopefully benign way, but we've got to do it. So that tension in that discussion is going to continue. And we just, we're all grownups here, we're all professionals, but we should not be surprised that that kind of tension is going on. Um, so I really applaud the, the fact that the staff and the ZOR uh, and, the, and the Planning Commission worked with the Data Center Coalition, but these are going to be tension points as we go forward and when we begin to discuss them separately in a separate CPAN and ZOM, then we're going to continue to have that kind of mm -hmm. tension discussion. It's just, we can expect it. I have a question about planned unit um, development. By what criteria will staff make a recommendation for a PD, PUD application? If they can do anything they want, I'm just curious, it's how not, does staff make a recommendation? It's not anything you'd want. It's consistency with the place type of the revised general plan, so of the 2019 comprehensive plan. So you would need to be consistent with that. And if you thought, well, man, a creative idea down in the transition area for urban policy area type density, no, you need to be consistent with that 
that place type and the provisions of the comp plan and, and you know, policies that would guide future development in that geographic location. That's the first and foremost. But what, where the relief is and the room for customization and creativity is a relaxation of the um, bulk regulations, yard setback, building yeah. height, um, and the, the right mix of uses. Mix of uses would probably come from the place type because when you look at that, you're, you're seeing the arrangement of uses. So obviously tied back to the comp plan. It, it, but there's, there's two sides of that coin. On the one side, staff can draw from various factors as to whether or not they can support the application or not. But on the other side of that coin is the applicant has less guidance as to how out of the box they can think. I mean, they, they're going to be encouraged to get way outside the box with these kinds of applications, but they don't really have a whole lot of um, anticipatory understanding of where staff is going to come down on some of these innovative ideas because there's nothing really in writing that's going to constrain them. It's going to be, I think it's a great move. I just, it's going to be really interesting to see how it evolves because it's going to be a lot more give and take than I think we've seen so far. Um, let's go for a second round, Madam Chair. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I will try to be quick. It, it strikes me that the five of us have been discussing this for an hour already, which makes us the biggest geeks in all of Virginia, I do believe. So. Well, let's remember who we're talking to. <laughs> Well, except for staff, <laughs> who join us in our geekhood. <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, I, I, was there any discussion at all about adaptive reuse, and, and especially like in areas of strip malls and things like that? We have a lot of, well, a lot maybe not true. We have some places in Loudoun County that Unfortunately, the, the retail's not working anymore for a lot of different reasons. We can go through it all. And it would be appropriate for adaptive reuse. And I didn't see any of that in there. And maybe it's just put under something else. So is there any discussion of adaptive reuse and what we would do with those areas? That's my first question. My second thing, though, to me, to be a little more clear, because I think I wasn't very clear, Mr. Yad, is I was more speaking of kind of performance standards on data centers versus um, data centers that exist already. So in other words, are some of these, um, some of these ideas that the planning commissions can't come up with, are they meaning for those to apply to data centers that exist right now? Now, for ones coming online, I don't know that I have any issues with a, with a, with a setback or a step back, and I don't know that I understand the, the difference between those. But for data sense that we have right now, to start talking about like when you can, you know, a, a generator and things like that, that's a different issue and it will affect the, it affect, it affect the, how the data centers are already here are used. And really the hope, the goal is always that we don't have data centers near residential neighborhoods at all anyway. Now we may not be always able to control that because there may be by right you know, usage, but we will do all that we can to not have data centers so close to homes that they are having those issues. And of course, what we learned with data centers and generators, it's, it's a lot of times what the equipment actually is. So for the, for us to say, you can use it from eight to five without even talking about what type of equipment is, it is, is it, is it screened in? Should it be changed? It's such a, it's such a sweeping discussion for data centers that already exist. So I was more talking about that a little bit yeah our um, performance standards would apply to somebody going forward and and that's the way it was in 2014 when the 
when the first performance standards for data centers were adopted into the ordinance, there were folks who had site plans pending and they wanted to know, well, when did these new, new performance standards apply to me? You'll have that decision too, which is how do you recognize applications that are in process? Um, but these performance standards are meant to be applicable to new development moving forward. Everything else will be, things that are on the ground will be grandfathered in already. Yeah, yeah. And the adaptive use question? So it, there is some of that in here, um, and it's, it's a very tricky topic and something that uh, the commission actually pushed, I'd say, beyond where we were comfortable because traditionally adaptive reuse is for historic structures. They asked us to look into adaptive reuse for, um, I'm not even sure the best way to necessarily to define this, uh, office and commercial, but for, with, without any, any look at the age or anything of that nature. Um, the I issue is, that. and the, the county attorney's office also advised, is that the issue is, was switching uses um, beyond what was legislatively approved in the past. And what so an interesting discussion we're gonna have about that then, aren't we? Potentially. Yeah. I think we are, yeah. Well, and we have time to get into that later, but I, I think I, I agree with the commission and I would like to have that discussion with the attorney because we don't want to do a thing that we shouldn't be doing, but it, I mean, we have strip malls that are just sitting empty. We have to, ha it doesn't make any sense not to do something with that, those, to, to adaptively reuse it, not, maybe not commercial, maybe to residential or something else, right? So. Okay, we, we can have that discussion. We have a little bit of time. Just to, um, Madam Chair, to keep in mind the um, really good example of what we're seeing is interest in properties that are zoned IP that may have office, flex office, number of years old, um, warehouses that are underutilized that um, are being purchased by data center entities mm -hmm, mm -hmm, for mm -hmm, conversion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so you may want to look into that, mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, you're really guided by the comp plan land use mm -hmm, and the mm -hmm. place type mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the Good district regulations. So for adaptive reuse, if you had that underutilized office building and you thought, wow, what, a, what potential for a mixed-use community, a residential community, a senior community, something that's close by to services already. At the end of the day, you need to take that through a legislative process to allow the residential in a district that it isn't allowed already. But then you'd first have to ask yourself, is that consistent with the land use place type? So it's all coming back. Yes, Mr. Chairman, can I ask one, one more question? Is that not spot zoning, though? Not necessarily. I think if you had a little postage stamp of um, commercial in the sea of residential or non-residential in a sea of residential area, it probably would be, and it would make a case. You, someone could make a case for that. But I'm tying it back to what is our plan, and if if the land mass is getting mass of available land is getting scarcer, then then the decisions need to be made in your long-range land use plan. But if you're talking about adaptive reuse, the use that you want to adapt that building into has to be permitted in the zoning district. And so I think in the conversations we had with the Planning Commission, that's pretty much where some of that ended up, which was you're gonna to need to come back to a rezoning anyway. Uh, thank you. Um, 
um, um, um, um, um, farms and rural economy. Um, the impression I got from the item was that there was a brief discussion, but it was largely deferred to a ZOAM, CPAM discussion after the ZOR is approved. Is that correct? We do need your help with that because consistently through the review of uses that the Planning Commission was undertaking, the idea to introduce a new definition of farm was being raised and several commissioners brought it forward. We had some concerns about that because there are there is a tie back to the term farm in the state code under a number of instances. And so we didn't want to pull that into the ordinance and then have it somehow contradict how we have been permitting agricultural uses, rural economy uses where great investment has been made and they're there. All of a sudden, the new definition comes along that might be problematic. We made that point repeatedly and consistently to the commission. However, that draft motion kept coming up. If somebody wants to be a farm or a ranch, those uses would be permitted under how we treat agricultural uses already. So we didn't quite see the connection, but we're open to learning more about the catalyst for such a change. Just thought that there might be some implications that would be more And that discussion's what the ZOC got wrapped around the axle about early on, right? Early on, um, but to their credit, there wasn't an awful lot of draft text available but the use, the idea of changing rural uses um, based on where they were at that point in time carried through all the way yeah. to where we are I, right now. I just now. want to point out to my colleagues is that the purpose of the ZOR is to bring the zoning ordinance into alignment with the existing comprehensive plan. So when we start getting into new definitions that we're folding into the ZOR, we really end up down a rabbit hole that can really get really problematic. So um, were there, is there any... Uh, discussion about noise standards for data centers in the zoning ordinance rewrite, or the noise standards deferred to the CPAM, ZOM, separately down the road? So they are tied to the uh, noise standards that are pertinent to the whole ordinance. There's nothing specific to data centers. Um, and if you're also hinting at the more recent issues we've been dealing with, there's nothing addressing some of the more recent concerns we've heard. Um, that I think would definitely need to move on to a later project than being captured in this just because of the technical nature of it. But um, we, they, they would be required to do a, a noise study. And one of the things that was added was to do uh, to capture the noise before the data center and then after and see what that difference is and ensure that that, that difference is minimal. And, and based on you alluded to it, based on some of the things we're seeing now, I'm not so sure noise is the broadest definition that we can use going forward. There could be a whole other lot of annoying environmental aspects to the data centers based on new technology that we've got to somehow capture. But I think that's probably a discussion for the future. Any other questions, Mr. Vice Chair? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, regarding the I guess, initiative by some to try and define the word farm. So you're saying we currently use the state definition of farm? We have a variety of uses that rely heavily on state code definition. Farm winery and farm brewery are two very good examples of that. To introduce, as I said before, a new definition of farm when there are relationships of the term in many facets of the state code, we were concerned about that. Are there other instances with other sort of definitions where that you can think of, because you know this a lot better than I do, 
where we have some sort of definition for it and it's kind of different from whatever the state definition is and it causes problems. I mean, I definitely see what you're saying where that could cause problems. The, I don't have other an example at this point. I can, I can look to things that we've struggled with in the past where we endeavored greatly to be consistent with the state code and would not want to be inconsistent because that puts our um, our local regulations at risk, and then whoever whoever might have relied on that would be would would not be a good thing. So I wonder if we it's it's making me wonder if we even have if we even have the authority, being a Dillon rule, to change to to define that when the state defines it. Do they give us the authority to do that, or is that something the state wants to do? It's not that clear cut. If we could crosswalk from state code to zoning term perfectly in every instance it would be a great world but we really don't have that ability what our concern was is that we have relied upon provisions of the state code to help us craft the definitions and terms that are permitted in our ordinance and and have been for a number of years to introduce something that might conflict with that we didn't want to we didn't want to go forward and, and create that problem um, if in fact a problem exists we also knew at the same time, Mr. Buffington, that we had these other external issues happening. One was the state code change regarding the amount of grapes certain classes of farm wineries need to plant. That And that increased, right? That um, increased, but it, it's tied in a sort of a ratio to the class one, class two, class three wineries. We can provide that information to you. It was provided to the Planning Commission. We also know that almost every year we struggle with where the General Assembly might head with agricultural structures, of which many of them are incorporated into the rural economy uses. Their location, their use, their adaptation. Um, as we deal with that, we also didn't want to create a conflict in the ordinance. Bottom line, if it was farm and ranch that somebody wanted really badly, that, those uses could otherwise be accommodated in our existing language under agricultural uses anyway. So we weren't quite sure where it was coming from. Thank you, Monsieur. I think that's all the questions we have. Uh, great work, um, good discussion, um, and um, more to come. So thank you all very M much. Mr. Turner, yeah. I just wanted to say very briefly that uh, the Judy Burkett could not be here tonight. She's under the weather, but she has just done a phenomenal job, as well as all of Dan's staff. Many of them are in the room here who um, stuck with us through the Planning Commission review, but also your Planning Commissioners did an excellent job. All nine of them were uh, present and accounted for for the discussions, and um, you should be very proud of them as your um, representatives on the Planning Commission. And I think the, the comments that we made at the, at the start of the meeting, at the start of this item tonight, um, please don't take those lightly. I mean, I think every member of the Board of Supervisors is profoundly grateful to the professionalism and the accomplishments of the people in this room, the staff, and of our Planning Commission. So I absolutely agree and wholeheartedly support what you're saying. Thank you all very much. We really do appreciate your hard work. Thank you. Next item will be the sidewalk and trail program equity study, arguably the densest single item that has ever been before the Board of Supervisors.
Thank you all very much. Um, this was a really interesting item, but man, oh man, did I have to read this through carefully and repeatedly. Um, so do you have a presentation? That'd be great if you do. Yes, yes okay. we do. Great. Um, I'll just introduce uh, yeah, the folks that'd be at, great. Thank at you. the table here. Good evening, uh, uh, Mr. Chair and members of the committee. I'm Lou Moserak, Assistant Director with DTCI. Here at the table tonight, uh, we have Nancy Boyd, uh, our director, along with uh, Laura Ghost, Senior Traffic Engineer, and um, Daniel McRae and Jacob Youngblood are consultants with Kimley Horn. Um, as you may recall, we were here last on this topic in September of 2022 with the phase one sidewalk and trails equity study. Uh, there was additional information requested and we're here tonight to present the results of the phase two equity study along with the, um, some overview of the associated rural uh, prioritization study as well. So with that, I'll turn it over to Laura for the presentation. Hello, members of TLEC. Good evening. Thank you for having us here tonight. The Sidewalk and Trail Program was initiated in the FY 2019 Capital Improvement Program and was intended to provide funding for planning, design, and construction activities of approximately three to five miles of sidewalk or trail per year, starting uh, funding starting in FY 2022. So to determine which segments would be selected for imp implementation, DTCI initiated, that's county staff, initiated a data-driven prioritization effort. And that initial prioritization effort resulted in the June 2020 Sidewalk and Shared Use Path Prioritization Study, uh, which was presented to the board on July 21st, 2020. That study had a prioritized list of segments, but we realized that the criteria, the prioritization criteria that we had used for that study didn't cater to uh, more rural uses or um, land uses in our rural west. And so we initiated, uh, well, after that study, we initiated in September of 2021, a rural analysis. Also at the um, TLUC meeting in February, 2021, TLUC requested that we incorporate equity considerations into the prioritized list. And uh, we split that effort up into two phases. Phase one re results were presented last September and uh, the phase two will, we will be presenting tonight. The phase two, so the way it works is that the rural analysis incorporated, well, we ranked the rural segments and then we incorporated those rural segments into the urban and suburban segments from the June 2020 sidewalk and shared use path study. And that resulted in a countywide prioritized list. And then we used that countywide prioritized list in the phase two equity analysis to result in a what we're referring to as the 2023 revised countywide prioritized list. And that's the list, um, it's in attachment three, appendix C, that we are recommending, that TLUC re recommends the board endorse uh, so that we can move forward with um, selecting segments to uh, complete using the sidewalk control program. So this presentation will go over both some results from the rural analysis as well as the results from the equity phase two analysis. Next slide, Jacob, please. So the real prioritization analysis, we expanded the number of um, organizations that we reached out to to develop the prioritization criteria. In total, we engaged these rep representative stakeholders uh, a total of three times throughout the course of the study and I will turn it over to Danielle 
to talk about the results of that stakeholder engagement and the prioritization criteria we came up with. So the project team engaged the stakeholders that Laura just mentioned on multiple occasions throughout the study and uh, collectively we uh, identified criteria in the groupings shown here on the screen. Uh, five different criteria groups and uh, the stakeholders also provided input on suggested weighting criteria uh, and uh, the appropriate weights or distributions uh, for each of these five different categories. Um, keeping in mind the rural nature of the county and users that would use sidewalk and trails in the rural parts of the county. The safety and comfort and activity generator uh, categories ranked um, the highest. They received the highest weighting. The distribution of those weights are shown on table one of the item. Um, so as a result of that criteria, uh, prioritization criteria, the missing sidewalk and trail segments in the rural parts of the county were all weighted and the next slide shows a map of the county and the highest prioritized segments that um, combined total a top 25 miles of missing sidewalk and trails uh, in the rural parts of the county are shown on this map in red. You'll notice that the, um, the red lines are clustered around or generally concentrated around the regional trails, uh, the WNOD trail, and also Route 7. So this map shows the um, results of the rural prioritization and the top 25 miles. The next slide shows a, the revised countywide prioritized uh, segment list. So this is essentially when you combine the results of the suburban urban segment list along with the rural, the rural results. And uh, one thing of note is that of the combined list, 19% of the missing segments are in the rural parts of the county. Uh, the, next, uh, the next slide here is a summary of how all missing sidewalk and trail segments for the uh, networks across the full county um, are distributed from um, um, in bins of uh, from zero to 100, we have the number of segments with blue indicating those number of segments in the rural parts of the county, and the orange color is the number of segments in the urban-suburban parts of the county. A few takeaways with this is that there's generally a normal distribution for both, for both groupings, um, and the bulk of urban-suburban um, sidewalk and trails are, are generally higher than the average um, score for the rural segments. And the far bucket to the right, which is the 95 percentile, 95 to 100 percentile bucket, that's where you have the top 18 miles that we would um, make a recommendation for selecting projects from. Thank you, Danielle. So we took that combined countywide priorities list, as I said, and combined it into, uh, forwarded it to the equity phase two study as a reminder, we were directed by the Transportation and Land Use Committee to incorporate equity considerations into a revised prioritized list. So we used the results of both the um, countywide priorities list from the rural study as well as the results of the Sidewalk and Trails Program Equity Phase 1 study to inform how we would incorporate equity considerations. We used an outcome-based approach, which basically sought to achieve a similar completion rate in our sidewalk and trails network across geographic, all geographic boundaries in the county. 
And I'll let Danielle go into a lot more detail on that. Go ahead. Okay, so next I'll talk about the data sources we used as part of this phase two equity analysis. Um, the results from the rural analysis, the results from the combined countywide, uh, the updated list that um, we referred to earlier were included, those accessibility scores from that updated countywide list, and also um, the uh, phase one equity results. Those were all used as inputs to a process. The graphic shown here on the screen is a funnel, and the funnel indicates four different steps, which are outlined in more detail in your board item in attachment three. These steps helped us first identify um, the equity considerations and incorporate them to the missing sidewalk and trail uh, program, and then produce a revised prioritized segment list for the entire entire county, uh, which resulted in that what we're calling the March 2023 uh, prioritized segment list. Um, so those are the four steps that we walked through. More details are in the item. Um, sticking with data sources, I want to um, revisit the geographic boundaries that we used for this study. Um, we used the census tract, the U.S. census tracts, which are shown on this graphic and outlined in white. Um, there are a total of 65 census tracts across the county, across Loudoun County, and we've also overlaid the policy area so that you can see um, where policy areas align with those census tracts. It's really important to understand that the data we used are associated with each of the census tracts. Um, and I'll get into more detail about the data we used, but these are the geographic boundaries we used, uh, those census tracts specific to the county. And they were categorized by rural area and urban area. And so those are two terms that you'll hear us speak more about. Now the data that we applied for each of those geographic areas is considered the social vulnerability index. This is data from the Center for Disease Control and it's a measure for how vulnerable a population is within a given geographic boundary. Uh, this data, the data that we used is from the 2010 uh, U.S. Census and also the 2018 American Community Survey. And as a reminder, the four different themes that we were analyzing included the socioeconomic status, household composition and disability, minority status and language, and housing type and transportation, all informed by the different factors shown there on the screen. Um, a couple things I want to note about this graphic is that those colors you see will appear later when we talk about the results of the four different themes. Um, this data is very valuable and useful when you are pursuing USDOT federal funding um, and other, other discretionary um, funds for transportation projects. So uh, this social vulnerability, vulnerability data is used um, nationwide. So continuing on with data sources, to understand how each geographic area in the county um, is represented with social vulnerability data, we identified three different groups, um, below average vulnerability, medium vulnerability, and higher vulnerability. And I'm going to walk through how we define those three different groups using that national data um, and the census tracts here in Loudoun. The graphic that's shown on the screen here is an example of how we used a composite score. And I'm gonna walk through this graphic. Um, this is for an urban area, but a similar process was completed for all of our geographic areas and the themes. So from left to right on this graphic, we have the social vulnerability um, plotted. Each dot on this graphic represents a community or the census tract. So there are a total of 65 um, 
census tracts plotted on this graphic. Um, the further you are to the right, the more vulnerable the uh, population is in that geographic area. From bottom to top, we have the completion rate of sidewalk control projects in the county. Um, so from zero to 100, if a census tract is plotted at 100, uh, that indicates that the full network that's planned for the CTP, CTP on, on uh, collector roadways is completely built out. So the higher the um, dot is on that graphic, the more complete your sidewalk control network is. Um, so that just gives you the lay of the land of the uh, graphic there. And we have the below vulnerability group, medium vulnerability group, and higher vulnerability group defined by green, orange, and red. And for each of those groups, we calculated what the average completion rate is for that group. So how, what is the average um, completion rate of sidewalk control projects for each of those groups um, for this particular geographic area? And that's represented by your horizontal line. So the green line is reflective of the average completion rate for below average vulnerability. The orange solid line is the average completion rate for medium vulnerability and the red solid horizontal line is your average completion rate of projects for your higher vulnerability. All of this data is really important because what we ultimately wanted to do was to understand what the percent difference is. And so as we advance forward, you'll see that there's a delta, a difference between your green line, go back. <laughs> yeah, a delta, the difference between that green line, which is considered your baseline. Um, for a below average vulnerability group. Um, and so that difference between the green line and your orange line is the percent difference for your medium vulnerability group. Can I stop you right here? Yes, because you can. This is an aha moment for me. This is a great chart. So make, let me make sure I'm explaining this right or I'm, I'm interpreting this right. So the reason there's a green dashed line going across is because that's the standard to which we are going to aspire with all SVIs. Yes, that's right. how we achieve an outcome base. Okay. That's what we're targeting. So now you look at the, the, just as a glance, this tells me the medium SVI group is the one we have to work the most on to get it up to the green standard. It has the highest delta between the green line and where it is right now. Yes. And the second most uh, one is, and this is the, the gray double arrows that you've got circled there, is the high SVI group, which may be not so bad, a little bit work, but not so bad to get it up to standard. Um, this, is, this is the key slide. When this goes to the board, this is the key slide that we're gonna wanna look at. Thank yes. you very much. Thank you for that, exactly how you explained it. The delta there or the percent difference is what we will um, apply when we consider equity considerations. And keep in mind, this is an example graph, this is, one chart, we, we developed the same exercise for the rural area and for each of the SVI themes. And so that information is helpful for when we go to the next table. So this table summarizes the percent differences across all four SVI themes um, and for each of the geographic um, groupings. For the urban and suburban census tracts, they're listed in the two columns to the left, and the rural census tracts are on the two columns to the right. Um, for each medium vulnerability and higher vulnerability, we have, we have both of those groups for each geographic boundary. Where you see a check mark, that means that the horizontal line or the average completion rate is greater than or equal to that baseline. 
So that is equal to the below, below average vulnerability um, completion rate. So you can consider that success. There's no need to apply a percent difference. There is no percent difference. The numbers that are shown there are the percent differences that we're most interested in um, across different census tracts. And so this table summarizes the values. The next slide will show you graphically where these distributions are. So this map, when we revisit the full distribution of census tracts across the entire county, we're now highlighting the highest percent difference for each census tract um, across the county. And this map um, also gives you an indication that um, where there's a darker intensity of color, that indicates a greater percentage. So the darker the intensity of color, the, uh, the greater the intensity or the, the, the higher the value or that percent difference is. And so we selected the highest percent difference, which shown on this graphic, to update our census tracts accordingly. And a couple things I want to note here is that of 62 census tracts in the county, um, 20 of those census tracts did not receive an average completion um, difference. So there was no percentage difference applied. Those are shown in the white. There's no color added to it. Um, therefore, 42 census tracts could benefit from increased service delivery of sidewalk control improvements. And those 42 census tracts are shown in a color on this map. The three census tracts that are not referenced here include the Dulles Airport and two census tracts in Leesburg where there are no planned sidewalk and trails. So that's why my num the number I mentioned is 62 and not 65. Um, so as a result, these percent differences were applied to the geographic area and we now have a updated 2023 revised countywide list that incorporates equity considerations. And now Jacob's going to talk about the uh, results and what those results look like. Yes, so after applying those equity considerations to all the segments in the county, um, we took that revised list um, and we analyzed it across three future scenarios, those being the top 18, top 33, and the top 48 miles. Um, and so first off, we wanted to evaluate whether the distribute or the proportion of segments in the rural and urban suburban areas remained consistent um, after we applied the equity considerations. Um, so on the graphic on the right, you can see that the top 18 miles before uh, the equity considerations and then the top 18 afterwards, um, the proportion of rural segments remains pretty consistent, 10% um, before, 9% afterwards. Um, and then as we advance through the program towards to the top 33 miles and the top 48 miles, um, we see the proportion of rural segments increases. Um, then moving forward from there, we calculated the average completion percentages um, across each of the scenarios uh, for each of those vulnerability groups um, and the SVI themes. And then we compared the differences um, between each of the scenarios uh, to be able to evaluate um, whether the new prioritized list um, was effective or not. Um, so first, kind of diving in with the urban-suburban findings, um, our ultimate goal here is basically to get those differences um, to 0% or to become positive. 
And so on that graph on the right, you see the green line horizontal in the middle is that 0% that we're trying to reach. Um, the vertical axis is showing you the value of the difference. Um, so a negative value is saying that the completion, the average completion percentage for that group is below the baseline that we were aiming for. Um, and when it's positive, it means uh, that we've reached our goal. Um, the horizontal axis is showing you the different themes and then the different uh, vulnerability groups within them. Um, and then the gray bars on here are showing you groups where we already achieved our goal. Um, and so there was no considerations applied there. Um, and so these errors that have just appeared, they're showing where we have applied a consideration. And as you can see that in each case, they are trending towards that 0% line as we advance further through the program, um, showing that we're succeeding in providing better service of um, sidewalks and trails to vulnerable areas within the county. Um, this is showing the rural uh, segments. Um, the graph is displaying the same thing. We have the green line in the middle showing that 0% uh, goal that we're trying to meet. And then the gray bars are covering up the groups where we've already met our goal. Um, and once again, the three that we uh, made adjustment or that we applied equity considerations to um, each show a consistent improvement. Um, in particular here, we've got a big improvement in the household composition and disability where we saw some of the largest differences uh, prior to applying the equity considerations. Um, and so kind of bringing that all together, uh, we kind of roll it up all the different themes into the composite score um, where we didn't apply any considerations based on this particular value. Um, but you do still see that both in the urban, suburban, and the rural areas, uh, we're seeing a trend towards that 0% difference. Um, and while by when we reach the top 48 miles, we don't reach like an equal service uh, across all groups, we are in fact still improving the service uh, to vulnerable communities within the county. And I'll hand it over to Laura for the conclusion. Thank you, Jacob. So ultimately, this study enabled us to incorporate equity considerations into the sidewalk and trails program prioritization. When we look at the top 48 miles, we see an improvement in service to socially vulnerable areas, but we aren't achieving that 0% uh, difference uh, goal. And so uh, there's further room for improvement as we continue to implement the sidewalk and trail program. We've also noticed that the revised countywide prioritized segment list, that's the list that we're asking you to recommend, well, that we're recommending that you recommend the board endorse, it serves areas of greatest access opportunity while also providing infrastructure close to socially vulnerable uh, census tracts. Uh, and accelerated investment in the sidewalk and trail program would further improve our ability to um, improve that service. Going forward, the next steps uh, is 
to obtain endorsement for the 2023 revised countywide priority segment list, at which point in time we would advance the recommended sidewalk and trail projects listed in attachment four of the item uh, for concept development and um, cost estimation. And then looking more longer term, we uh, aim to, staff recommends that the sidewalk and trail prioritized list be updated every five years. And so that will be a kind of the next step in the planning process for this effort. And that's it for the uh, presentation. Thank you for your attention. Thank you very much. Um, I am inclined to go to a motion and ask our questions in the motion. Are we okay with that? Okay. Um, I move that the Transportation Land Use Committee recommend that the Board of Supervisors endorse the 2023 revised countywide prioritized segment list as represented in by the table titled, quote, adjusted segment scores and project rankings, unquote found in Appendix C of the report titled Sidewalk and Shared Use Path Prioritization Project Equity Analysis, Phase 2, dated March 2023, presented in Attachment 3 to this June 21st, 2023 Transportation and Land Use Committee Staff Report. Seconded by the Vice Chair. Um, let's have a round of questions. Um, Madam Chair. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. First of all, this is just next level, right? I, I, I got a... I gotta ask, I mean, I feel like I just took a you know, stats course or something. That was incredible. Really, Nick, you all are not like born knowing this stuff. What did you, how did you, was it a class or something? That was, that was, that was absolutely incredible. Um, so thank you. It's also important because, you know, when you look at um, stats and data and stuff, you find that people who are socially vulnerable um, groups usually have you know, like less green space, less um, safe site walks to walk on, less trails to enjoy, um, which means that then they have a um, um, higher degrees of health problems and that type of stuff. So it all really does go hand in hand. And so it, it, it sounds kind of like just squishy liberal stuff, but then when you start looking at the, the consequences for not having um, sidewalks, just sidewalks or trails in your community, you really figure out how quickly it, it impacts you. My only question, this may not be a question you all can answer, and really seriously, this is incredibly impressive. My only question is on the household composition and disability, I understand why it's 65 and older. I want understand why it's 17 or younger. I understand why it's a civilian with a disability. I do not understand why single parent household falls into that section. Can, does anyone, can anyone help me grasp that part? No? Okay. No. <laughs> I can dive in. So attachment, attachment three of the board item, appendix G provides the documentation on how this data is developed. Okay, so go we'll look at that and read well, that. I, I will, and I may not be able to explain explicitly for that particular factor, but this is um, data from the um, CDC. And, no, no, I, I understand so that's I, coming from, yeah, a very, a very yes. reputable source. I'm just curious as to why that's there, especially for that area, because if you talk to Mr. Buffington, he will tell you that the day that I got most upset in this day is last, last term was around <laughs> um, sidewalks for people with, with different abilities and curb cuts and all those stuff. And so no issue. It just seems strange that single parent household is put in the disability 
area because it's not a disability to be a single parent household. No, I, and it, I don't think that it's getting at that point of the theme. I think it's more getting at the household composition and the makeup of a household. Um, if there is a single parent household or a home with a single parent, that the vulnerability of that of that. Yeah, home. I would have thought that area would be under the socioeconomic status, though. It just it's just a strange place to put that one is all. Okay. But it it's just it I'm just curious. I will go read the supporting data. I will go read it. We can follow up with more detail. No, no, I'll go, if it's in, I'll go read it. I'll go read it. And, then, and if I still have questions, I'll let you know. Okay. Thank you. And good job. Really great job. Supervisor Glass. Thank you, Chair Turner. And I, I would agree with uh with Chair Chair Randall about you all doing a fantastic job with this. Thank you. Um, I, I was looking at the attachment in with the, um, the ranks, project rank per 2023, and that's the recommended next set of sidewalk and trail projects. And I was looking and I saw that um, um, number 27 is Old Ox Road, Rock Hill Road connections. Do you all have um, any information on what, I'm just asking, I'm not sure if you all would know, would you all know what Fairfax County plans are for Rock Hill after it crosses the county line? Have you all had any information from them? We have had some ongoing discussions with Fairfax on other transportation initiatives that straddle the county line. Um, we haven't specifically talked about this, but it's certainly something um, we can add to our agenda for our next meeting with, with them. Um, I generally know that they have, you know, bike ped facilities planned around their metro station there, but specifically, I, I don't have an answer. Okay, thank you. So since um, Rock Hill Road might require extensive uh, reconstruction to complete the sidewalk project, um, would staff recommend this project be removed from the sidewalk and trails program and be a standalone CIP project? So staff doesn't have any recommendations regarding that project at this time. Our, our plan is to move into conceptual de develop, like development of concept diagrams for this where we would um, talk to Fairfax County to find out what they're doing and if there's a, an ability to partner on the project and determine whether or not more extensive uh, improvements need to be made to Rock Hill Road itself along with the sidewalk project at that time we would develop a recommendation. Okay, thank you. Mr. Vice Chair. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, wow, great work on this. I don't know how you all come up with this numbers, um, uh, but it's impressive, so thank you. Um, it's important that our sidewalk and trail program is done equitably. Um, and looking at it from a Western Loudoun perspective, it appears to me, and please let me know if I'm right here, I think I'm right, that when you, based on our old plan and what you all are recommending, we're moving more in the right direction where Western Loudoun will be, uh, receive more equity by receiving more sidewalks and trails. Because really, um, the biggest equity gap that we had was in Western Loudoun is what you found, am I right? Okay. And so the changes uh, seek to fix that problem. And so um, <clears throat> I think most importantly is that we did that we did this, and whatever the results were, were whatever the results were, 
But as a Western Loudoun supervisor, I'm thankful that the results were this so that we can fix the problem. Um, but if it had been something else, I would have been supportive either way because it, whatever, however it shakes out, we, we do need to have equitable sidewalk and trails program. So again, thank you for all your work and I support the uh, packet motion. Thank you very much. I'm gonna jump up on my high horse here and repeat what I said from the dais the other day. This is woke. This right here is woke. We've got the full spectrum of politics on this dais right now from left to right. And yet I think all of us agree. I don't think I'm putting words in anybody's mouth. I wanna repeat what the vice chair just said that we developed a set of objective standards. We looked at our sidewalks and trails program and we said, do all of our citizens have a comparable access to sidewalks and trails? And if not, why not? And using those objective standards, what we found was lo and behold, based on equity considerations, certain segments of our citizenry do not have equal access. And so now we can change our resources, adjust our priorities, and we can come up with a master list that looks at through that lens, that equity lens to say, it's not right or fair that certain segments of our population, certain demographic breakouts or census tracts should have less access to sidewalks and trails than other census tracts. And we will correct that. That is the absolute definition of equity and woke in a functioning way. And I just want to note for anybody out there that's watching this, that we have the full political spectrum right here that has embraced this process and believes it is a very positive process that has worked very well. And I know that may put some in an awkward political situation, but the reality is we're looking at the data. The data speaks for itself and to your words, Mr. Vice Chair, that's exactly right. You would have backed up whatever conclusion we came with based on what the data said, because that's what we're about here, success by looking at data. And I think it's a terrific effort. I'm really proud of you guys and proud of the county team that put this together. It, is a, it, it was a real challenge. Um, I don't need to know all the granular details. God knows I don't, because it, it, you just can't pick them all up. But what I needed to get out of this presentation was I have a very high level of confidence that you understand the granular details and that you can, based on data, prioritize our county resources in a way that makes sense. And I have a very high level of confidence in that. Um, so with that, uh, we have a motion on the table, seconded. Uh, any other discussion? All in favor uh, for the motion, please say aye. Aye. Any opposed? That motion will pass 5-0. Thank you all very much. That's great work. Appreciate it. Uh, consensus from the group. Do we want to take a 20-minute dinner break, or do we want to press on? I can go either way. Sylvia? Okay. I think we're going to press on, Madam Chair. I understand. Thank you. And with that, we will ask the uh, presentation for the permanent pump and haul request to come forward. Good evening. If you all could introduce yourselves, that'd be great. Good evening, Chair. Good evening, everyone. Um, my name is George Kahn. I'm with the Loudoun County Health Department, and I have two members here from representing the um, applicant. I'm John Stokely with Dewberry. Uh, 
Henry Slicker with Sheets. So this evening we're here to consider an item um, request for permanent pump and haul from Casey Gadger LLC who's requesting permanent pump and haul um, for a Sheets gas station. It's a new construction uh, to be constructed. Currently where this uh, facility is proposed, they are pump and haul around this facility. Um, sewer is not available currently. Um, you know, the nearest sewer is about 1,100 feet away. Uh, there is a proposal to bring it at some point in the future, as the, um, described in the applicant package. Uh, per the item that you're here to consider, you know, this does not meet the health department definition of support because it does not um, serve a residential structure that you know there's no other option. Uh, a determination was made by the Department of Zoning, which says that you know it does not meet the general plan currently. Um, so, you know, it is part of the JMLA. It is planned to be served by Central Utility. However, Central Utility have not yet been extended to the subject property. Um, so, with that in mind, you know. We, would, we have the applicant here. They have some um, information they would like to share with you, and then we'll take any questions you have. Thank you. The applicant, please feel free. Um, even though this is uh, considered a, a permanent pump and haul, we really view this as temporary. Um, according to the developer across the street, uh, Michael Capretti, we've been in t uh, conversations with him as well as the industrial park um, that we're a part of. The uh, schedule for uh, sewer and water to the area is currently 2025. Um, we would like the opportunity to move forward with construction in you know the 2024 or so time frame. Um, that originally the, the the schedule was a little you know uh, pushed. It was a year uh, in advance, and now it got pushed back a year. But that's really created a gap. Um, just wanted to let you know that we were looking at that uh, as not a permanent scenario, but a temporary scenario. And under the uh, definition, you know, we had to apply for a permanent. Um, we currently operate about five pump and haul sites across our company. When we do have uh, situations that um, we have the ability to hook up to public utilities, we do. Um, these, these sites are closely monitored. They are uh, on schedules. Um, you know, we take this uh, very seriously. Um, lastly, uh, and, and just, and I think it was also in, in maybe an email that you might have received, we do have uh, six planned facilities uh, throughout the county with, with uh, additional, uh, some more facilities as well. And, you know, we're just always looking forward to um, working with you all. Thank you very much. Uh, questions, Mr. Kirshner? Thank you, Chair, and welcome, gentlemen, and thank you for the presentation. I, I've read the full item pretty thoroughly. Um, I have a couple follow-up questions. I think a couple of them were answered. So obviously we have the emergency pump and haul, temporary and permanent. Mm -hmm. it, can you, the first question I have, and, and for either the applicant or staff, can you talk to me a little bit about what is the difference in terms of what they actually look like, what you have to do? Are they pretty much the same? Or, and, and we just use those labels within our, our approval process? Uh, not really. Um, so, for instance, when you think of an emergency pump and haul, this is when you have an operating system. So you already have a system that's approved. 
Gotcha. Maybe there's a malfunction there. So what's the difference between the temporary and permanent pump? So temporary now, temporary is less than a year when sewer is I understand is in terms of time frame, but the actual infrastructure, what you put in, how you manage it. So there is nothing really different between a temporary and a, par a permanent in terms of what's in the ground itself. It's just okay. based on time frame. Okay, so, so, so if, if we thought this was going to be less than 12 months, and I understand it's not being, that's why we're calling it permanent, and that was one of the questions that I asked the applicant. Would we approve it if we thought it was a temporary and, and water and sewer were coming much sooner? Correct. We would, we would approve it? Yes. Okay. So my question then to the applicant is, when, assuming Capretti's property, the infrastructure goes in, sounds like they're not going to start till 2000, 2025, let's say it comes in a year later or two years later, is your plan to hook up at that point? Uh, yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, uh, as John can attest, you know, we have... Um, you know, our, we've been working on a site plan where we have, uh, you know, the pump and hall uh, set up in such a way that when these connections do become available, it's a pretty seamless transition for us. Uh, operations speaking as well as easy for uh, the utilities to be. So, uh, so from a business perspective, this is truly a temporary, for your for business perspective, I understand from definition it's different, but from a business perspective, this is, hey, we'd like to get this project off the ground sooner rather than later. I understand in business time is money. Yes. And and obviously you have plans and development and everything gets more expensive, including especially in this time of inflation. So I would like to try to see you guys get started sooner rather than later if everything else is in course and if it i mean i'm guessing you're going to have to spend more money just to put this in but from That's a business right. analysis it makes more sense for you and it truly is a form of a temporary sir did you have a were you going to add to that uh i forgot what i was going to say that's okay <laughs> uh, I'm, i must have answered it yeah, so yeah, okay um so do you want to add anything to what i just said is is that a correct analysis and what i've gone through here yeah that's exactly right you know it will it will cost us uh more money to to do the pump and haul uh, scenario uh drill a well uh, but uh, you know as you pointed out time is money and and getting something open sooner and and having those costs um you know and I, the, the 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 store facility created already is is beneficial for us and I, can i just have one last question i know i'm out of time it, you, I know you've committed to, hey, once it's there, but I guess my other question is, are they required to once it comes? So if the committee supports it, this then go to the full board. Um, if the full board approves it, then what's next is a three-way agreement is drafted between the county administration, the health department, and the applicant. Part of the agreement, within that agreement, is a clause that um, stipulates if sewer is available and when sewer becomes available, they must connect. Okay. I'm good. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, I forget what I was about to say all the time, so I'm with you. And um, I think it was around 1992, one of my first jobs was working at Sheets in, in Clark County, and uh, it was Route 340 and Route 50 intersection in Waterloo. Store 192. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Stocked a lot of freezers in there. Um, so I appreciate Sheets, but so in in the attachment here there's an email chain and part of that is a response from Loudonwater um, project engineer Safina Singh uh, saying that currently no public sewer or water is available to this parcel infrastructure won't be in place until 2025 so is that still accurate to the best of everybody's knowledge according to the Loudonwater JLMA site that's the current date fourth quarter 2025 okay so um 
Mr. Crowbarth or anybody else from county staff is is are you aware of anything that could change that with discussions that we may be having with the town of Leesburg would that and whether their water serves or our water serves would that possibly affect this area we're not okay. aware of anything at this time no. okay yeah I didn't think so um, I personally would be fine with this as long as they're uh, in the motion that we pass and I think motion two has it you know as soon as public water is there you guys would hook up and uh, that is what's in motion two correct legally so what would happen if they if they like refused to hook up w once public water was there would there be a process for us to just basically shut them down they would be health um, perspective so what would happen you know the three-way agreement really grants them the ability to apply for a permit for the pumping hall so the pumping hall is a permitted thing um, they would then violate the permit so then we could pull the permit pull for the, the permit pump yeah yes i mean i don't know why they would not hook up there's every incentive to hook up and it's cheaper so i'm sure i'm sure they will i have to go with what's here from loudon water 2025 right now um it's already midway 2023 you know i don't by the time you build this sheets it, it won't it'll be a matter of months probably that you're doing this hopefully that 2025 time frame um comes to fruition so i think i'm okay with this honestly um in the last situation when this came forward i think i approved that one too and there's been others in the past where i was against it for one reason or another but i think i'm okay with this one thank you mr chairman thank you uh i think it's a pretty straightforward item and um, uh, the factors are pretty evident so it's your district mr vice chair would you like to make a motion is it yours okay before sure. I make the motion. Sure. So I just want to follow up what uh, Supervisor Buffing said. If we pass the draft motion, then there will you will you will enter the applicant will enter into an agreement with the county that they will hook up water at a certain time or when it becomes available. Is that correct? Yeah. So it would go from TLOC to the board, and if the board approves it, then we would go into the draft um, a, the three-way agreement. So we, that's kind of we don't actually need to put that in the motion because you'll have the agreement. If they violate that agreement, then they, they you, their permit gets pulled. Correct. Um, okay. That is a that is standard procedure um, within the regulations that we draft that agreement. Okay. I just want to clarify. Um, thanks, Chair, for allowing me that that Mr. Uh, Chairman. leeway. Um, Mr. Chairman. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think we would prefer that the uh, that the motion mention the obligation of entering into that three-way contract because if there is a fault, a default, that is essentially a contractual obligation. And that's the mechanism in which the county attorney's office would exercise some uh, some means to uh, in, to force the connection. So, so, chair, if I can follow up with a question, chair, if I could follow up with a question with Mr. So, why, if that's the case, why is that not in the draft motion? And if so, which motion should we put forward? I don't see that language in there that, oh, wait a minute, unless I read it wrong. It, it's in the second line, uh, goes on to say, Board of Supervisors, that the county enter into a contractual agreement with okay. ACK, Gettier. Yeah. Okay, and that was a motion I was planning on reading, so you don't need yeah. to add to that motion. Correct, I, okay. I just, I, I am 
I interpreted your comment that you were going to uh, redact that portion. Of no, the no, I was going to read that in there. Okay, thanks. I move that the Transportation and Land Use Committee recommend to the Board of Supervisors that the county not enter into, or enter into, right? I would just remove not enter. No. You, right, which one am I reading? You want Number two. All right. The TLUC may, um, alternatives two, correct? All right. Draft motion number two. Draft motion number two. It's or. Okay, I see. I'm, I'm looking at the wrong one. All right. I move that the Transportation and Land Use Committee recommend to the Board of Supervisors that the county enter into a contractual agreement, KCK Gettier, is that correct? Uh, LLC and the Virginia Department of Health to allow permanent pump and haul services to serve the proposed facility located at parcel pin 150-26-6169 upon considerations that one, the permanent pump and haul permit will be active only until the sewer connection to the property has been established, two, all costs associated with a pump and haul operation and ultimately the approved connection to the public sewer shall be borne by KCK Gettier LLC shall also be responsible for ensuring that the pump and haul provider submits all required reports, records, and receipts through the health department's online tracking system and four, that this pump and haul approval shall only be for the gas service station and its uses and must be abandoned when public central sewer is available to the properties pursuant to the properties mentioned at which time all pump and haul tanks in appurtenances let me see how do you pronounce that appurtenances appurtenances must be properly abandoned by the owner at that time by permit is there a second second by the vice chair uh, opening comments no don't really have any opening comments i think you answered all my questions thank you gentlemen for coming in and again i think when we can we should approve these especially when we know water and sewers coming i appreciate the staff doing the work on it thank you mr vice chair thank you mr chairman um uh, Supervisor Kirshner, when you were reading the motion, uh, right before condition number one, you said upon considerations that, and then number one, did you mean upon conditions that? Yes, that's correct. Okay, I just wanted to make Thank sure you we're for that making conditions and not recommending considerations. Um, no further, no further comment. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I'll be supportive. Thank you. Um, I will. I will vote in the affirmative on this one to move it forward to the board. I want to uh, let you guys know. I think the world of the sheets team. I really do. I enjoy working with you guys. I will probably be a no vote in the board on this one. Um, I'm concerned about the level of activity at the sheets station, and we could be significantly outside the 12-month window, and that gives me real concern. Um, maybe I'll hear something different between now and then, but uh, I'm happy to move it on to the board. But I'll probably be a no vote at the board. And uh, Supervisor Glass. Yes, uh, thank you for coming out here, and I will be supporting this as well. I know that um, uh, Sheets is one of um, um, I'm one of the businesses that's in my district as well, and and um, we appreciate you all being here. Thank you. Any closing uh, remarks, Supervisor Kirshner? Uh, motion before us uh, is been made and seconded. Uh, no further discussion. All those in favor, please say aye. Aye. Any opposed? That motion will pass 401 with uh, Super with Chair Randall off the desk. Thank you all very much. And our last item is the Federal Aviation Administration community process to mitigate aircraft noise within the area of the airport impact overlay district. 
if we could have staff come forward. Good evening. Good evening, Mr. Chairman. Good Floor evening. Yours. Okay, good, and good evening, committee members. So for the record, I'm Josh Peters. I'm with the Department of Planning and Zoning. And this item is the third in a series of regular updates to this committee on efforts by county staff to engage with the Federal Aviation Administration on noise concerns around Dulles Airport. So this is a regular update to the committee, but I'll note that it is also an action item for tonight because there's a letter, draft letter included in your packet for endorsement if the committee chooses to do that. So I'm gonna provide a little bit of background and then uh, three points of update here. So by way of background, uh, the committee will recall that this effort began in January of this year uh, when the board adopted an updated airport impact overlay district that was based on updated noise contours for Dulles Airport. So during that process, concerns were raised by members of the community that led the board to direct staff to engage the FAA to explore options for minimizing that airport noise and those impacts on uh, the surrounding community. So Chair Turner, uh, you did request that staff provide an update to this committee as a standing item until the issue is resolved. And so that's what this is. This is, here we are. The item uh, before the committee summarizes the staff activity since the last TLUC meeting, which was in May, May 17, um, between then and now, so really just the last month. So point number one, update number one, our efforts to contact the FAA community engagement officer. The committee may recall that during our May 17 presentation, we reported that Staff spoke with the FAA community engagement officer by telephone, and uh, that staff person acknowledged receipt of our previous correspondence and advised that her staff was preparing uh, a response to be sent from their office by uh, May 12th. We still have not received that response. We haven't received it yet, um, but trust that we will ultimately uh, make contact and meet with the FAA. Um, now that we have our consultant under contract, and I'll explain that in a second. Staff is using this period uh, to develop our proposal and prepare for that meeting with FAA staff. So speaking of the consultant, uh, county staff and representatives from Vianair held a project kickoff meeting on June 6th. And at that meeting, we discussed the project scope, schedule, and milestones that were included in their contract. Vianair has reported um, an estimated timeline to complete their baseline and departure rule modification proposal and modeling um, at approximately 180 days. That's six months. And following review of that work, they will need an additional 90 days to prepare a written report ready for submission to the FAA. So we're talking about nine months worth of work in that contract. The report will cover operational questions that need to be answered for the FAA and demonstrate the noise modeling comparisons at various locations in the impacted area for the baseline and proposed scenarios. So you get the idea, they are modeling out where the flight paths go, um, the frequency of those uh, flight paths, and then the various scenarios that we could be discussing with the, uh, the um, FAA as alternatives. So Vianair will be seeking input from the community leaders uh, 
at the outset of the modeling process to develop a pr proposal that um, is resp uh, responsive to the community expectations and desires. At this point, we anticipate the community engagement process to occur in the fall, possibly uh, September to October timeframe, and that, that date is somewhat strategic or intentional because it follows the August break. Hopefully everybody is back in town, but that also includes the consultant is back in town because uh, they're away during the August time as well. At the conclusion of the scenario development and modeling portion of the project, staff will bring a presentation to the committee for discussion and feedback. And based on those timeframes that I just gave you, that looks to be about second quarter of 2024 calendar year. The third point, and this is uh, dealing with the draft comment letter. So the third update point is um, during our last presentation, we reported that the FAA opened a public comment period on their noise policies and the metrics used to measure airport noise. The committee directed staff to prepare a draft letter for the board's consideration to submit to the FAA. That draft letter is provided to you as attachment too. So the letter includes high-level feedback from the board members and the community, um, and it would ultimately uh, require a signature from Chair Randall or request a signature from Chair Randall um, to send it on to the FAA by the end of the comment period, which is July 31st. So staff is seeking your feedback on the letter. We are re recommending that TLUC recommend endorsement of the letter to the board to send it on by that July 31 date. So that is the update. That's your action item and happy to take any questions. Thank you very much. Questions? Mr. Oh yeah, Supervisor Glass. Thank you, Chair Turner. Um, thank you for the, the presentation and I did look over the letter and I, I don't see any problems with it. It looks good to, to send out. So uh, um, I, I do have a question. So when um, you said, well, in the packet, it says that staff feels confident that we will hear back from the FAA. Does our consultant feel confident that we will hear back from the FAA soon? We did. So I don't know about soon. I think what we are is we, we've had an informal discussion with them by phone, and there was a commitment to engage, and I think uh, delays happen. So we acknowledge that, and I don't think we have a reason to just to lose faith that we're going to end up having that meeting. I'll keep faith alive. I, I, I do have um, constituents that continue to contact me about the, um, you know, the um, noise from the aircraft. So I'd just like to hopefully hear something soon from the FAA. Well, and I, and I don't think I actually answered your question. So our consultant actually did express confidence in, um, in communicating with the FAA, and they even have direct uh, communication with the FAA as well. So they, they do this on a fairly routine basis. Okay. Well, that's good to hear. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Rushter. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, what you just said makes me feel a little better. Um, <clears throat> it seems to me that so far dealing with the FAA's community engagement officer has been less than ideal uh, and a little frustrating, frankly. Um, but I'm glad that at least our consultant is confident that we're going to get a response from them soon. I like the letter. I'm going to support the motion. And I appreciate the part in there about the public information officers, um, all of the different ways that they have put out there this, this uh, open comment period by the FAA. So 
Uh, I'm pretty confident, at least in my district, that Brambleton is well aware of that, and I'm pretty confident that they've made their community members well aware of that. And I think you even put in there that there was like 140 individuals on our list to do with this issue that you sent them either an email about it directly or something via the mail. Is that right? Mr. Crowbooth, can you confirm? And, um, yes, that is correct. Our Office of Public Affairs and Communications has a blog list that individuals have signed up for that exceeds 140 or so uh, individuals, and they push that information out as directed by TLUC at our May meeting. Yeah, so that's very helpful. Uh, I'm assuming that's probably mostly Birchwood community residents over there in Brambleton, which I, I'm glad that they're getting this information, not only from our regular channels, but also directly fed to them because they've signed up for this blog. Uh, so thank you, staff. I know this is a little frustrating for you all, probably as it is for us, because you're trying to communicate with somebody and they're not, commu not really communicating in the proper manner back to us. Um, but we'll, we'll, as we said previously, this is not something that's going to happen quickly. It's, we're talking years, I think. Um, so, you know, keep chugging along, and I appreciate uh, Chair Turner for asking for these updates. Thank you. Um, the, I think the letter's terrific. Uh, I think the fact that it highlights the fact that land use decisions are made based on uh, our projections of air traffic off of the airport is, is spot on, and I think that's good to emphasize that. I really like the idea that we're proposing two separate noise studies, a long-term one and an and a intermediate-term one. That makes a whole lot of sense. Um, yeah, we're kind of... This is a this is a tough one dealing with the FAA. They're in a bunch of turmoil. I get all that, and uh, this is this could be protracted. But I really believe, and I, I want to thank um, the virtual group, particularly Carolyn McCauley, for recommending Vionair. Um, they've got experience working with the FAA. They know how to do noise studies, really detailed noise studies, far beyond any of the standards that anybody else does. They know how to design departure flight paths, and I think. If we can present a really data-based solution for both MWA and for the FAA, I think we will suddenly move forward fairly quickly if we can be a templar, an exemplar for, for other airport areas and, and how to do this the right way. So I'm very encouraged by the letter, and, um, and, and I, think it's a, I think it's a great letter, and I'm more than happy to forward this on. So I will, at that point, make a motion here, and we will... Finish this up. <clears throat> I move that the Transportation and Land Use Committee recommend to the Board of Supervisors that the draft comment letter be endorsed by the Board of Supervisors and direction given to staff to submit the letter to the Federal Aviation Administration prior to the July 31st, 2023 deadline. Second. Uh, I'll give that second to Supervisor Glass. She was a fraction of the second before you. Uh, I have no opening comments. I think I said everything. Any other discussion items on this? Seeing none, I have no close. All those in favor, please say aye. Aye. Any opposed? That motion will pass 401 with Chair Randall off the desk. Thank you both very much. I appreciate it. And without further ado, we are adjourned. Thank you.